family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. I invite the congregation to be seated for just a moment before we move to this text, which is not a very long text. But oftentimes, as I mentioned, setting the context of the text itself. So I want to kind of give you an idea that this is not just some sort of story. This is a historical record. We believe the scriptures reveal what Jesus encountered and what he taught. And this is a place that we can look at and we can see today. It looks different. But where this took place, I want to give you the visuals of what it looks like. So the first is that... This takes place not too far from what's known as the Eastern Gate or the beautiful gate of Jerusalem. On the other side, if you look to the left-hand side of the picture, do you see the little golden dome? That's the Dome of the Mosque. You're looking at the bottom of the Kidron Valley, and this was the road that would come from Bethany where Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This would take you into right into the Temple Mount area. Uh, the Eastern Gate, or the Beautiful Gate, was sealed in the 800s by the Muslims because they uh, heard that this is where Messiah will return in through the Beautiful Gate, and then they went ahead and created a Muslim cemetery in front of the gates. Uh, and so uh, thinking that there would be, uh, obviously within the Jewish faith, touching a dead body defiles someone. Now my preacher humor is that our God has already dealt with death and he can walk over it. He did it before, he'll do it again, right? Um, but this is a historical place. This is, this, is in, this is not an imagination. This is where this event took place. In fact, it's an event that's not just, and we knew that during Jesus' time and during the time of Peter and John it was true because if we look at Acts chapter 3, what we see is, and the scripture up there, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called what? Beautiful, right? The beautiful gate where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So why was he put there? It, because it was the main traffic flow coming into Jerusalem. It was the main traffic flow that everybody could come in through. And when you came in through that high trafficked area, you would walk in and then this is sort of a... Artist, artist rendering of what it would look like known as the court of women. So we would have just come in and this would be the larger court of women where everybody could gather. Now my other moment of tongue-in-cheek somewhat humor is that it's interesting to note that the 13 trumpet-fluted offertories or receptacles were out in the court of women where anybody could put money in. They didn't put the offering plates inside. Now, this gate in front of you is known as, as um, Nicanor's Gate. Uh, historical records and some tradition tells us that um, 
the person who donated this gate that separates when you go into the court of the men and then the holiest of holies would be uh, behind that in the tabernacle, uh, the, the temple. Um, this was the separating point. And Nicanor was the men, the man who evidently contributed for this gate itself. That's what it's named. Uh, we go into all kinds of details of all things, but this would be the general area. And then along and scattered throughout this area, you would have these trumpet fluted or sort of tuba or baritone, whatever you want to call them. These are what, the, the, what we believe those offering receptacles look like. Give me the next slide. That would just be there. And, and now, why is this important? Leave that slide up for just a minute. That's important because when you went to the temple and you were Jewish, you would also uh, have a place where you could have money changers. Re re remember that when Jesus turned over the tables, it wasn't just his frustration that people are having to actually buy their sacrifices, right? There was also that there were money changers. You really thought, what's up with the money changers? Here's what was up with the money changers. They would want the temple tax to be paid more in Roman revenue because it had a higher silver content and therefore it was more valuable and it weighed more. And so what would happen is people would come by in Jesus' frustrations with the Pharisees were that they would do a lot of things for pomp and show, but they wouldn't do it for everyday life. And so you have these fluted sort of brass items, and if you had a, a very light Jewish coin that came in, let's say it weighs like a penny, it, it wouldn't make a lot of noise. But if you'd gone and you exchanged, you brought the Roman coin, it had a higher silver content, and, and you would you would want to make sure that people would hear that louder thunk to know that you were putting in a higher valued coin. And so there's a contrast that's happening here before we ever get to the text, and that is Jesus' frustration with the outward show in the inward life. He constantly comes back and talks about that tension. But there's a direct thing that we're going to hear in this text specifically is is there's a word that says Jesus was watching or as he watched. And that, that word in the Greek has a specific meaning to, to look with a discerning eye. He, was, he wasn't just sitting back and wondering. He, he was observing. And if you look at Mark chapter 12, Jesus has been peppered with questions. And one of those questions was, well, what do I do with this coin? Because it's got Caesar's name on it and his face on it. Now do you see the connection? They knew where they were. They knew the context. They were talking about the difference between the lighter weight Jewish coin or currency and the, the heavier weight one that had Caesar's name on it. You know, they were thinking they could trap Jesus into some questions. And as we said before, remember the words of J.B. Phillips that your arms are too short to box with God. Right? If you think you can trap Jesus, uh, you're not going to trap him. And so in this high traffic area, in all this busyness, also note this, that, that how busy would it have been? It would have been very busy with all the traffic coming in. I mean, just look out this way and imagine, imagine it was yesterday and as we were, um, we're good neighbors with our Lutherans. And so they had their big Oktoberfest thing. And so they parked a lot in the FOC parking lot yesterday. And, you know, we, we don't mind that because we want to be good neighbors. But imagine that crowd or imagine the trunk or treat crowd. And everybody's all around and a kid drops something and it's noticed. It would be hard to see, but it doesn't miss Jesus. The same way that when 
He hears the beggars going into Jericho, calling from a distance. He hears them. The people say, quit. The master has no time for you. But Jesus says, hey, bring that guy to me. Jesus hears and Jesus sees the things that get overlooked by most everybody else. So in this context, this crowded area, very busy day, everybody coming in, the bustle of noise, loud things you can hear behind you, the, the glamour, the all, everything's lifted up and all this. What does Jesus notice? I invite you to stand and hear the word of God and hear what Jesus noticed. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, one of those 13 locations they were spread out. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. Well, how would you know? You could hear it, right? You could see it. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let's pray together. May your spirit, O oh God, stand between me and your people, so that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be transformed and shaped into your words. And that you would show us your word and your covenant and your word, your grace and your covenant, your goodness and your grace, and your love and your goodness. For this we pray in the name of Christ, for we have gathered in the name of Christ, and we will go and serve and follow Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Family was getting together at lunch, and um, they were talking about the church service they experienced, and uh, this is preacher humor. It's kind of like dad humor, right? This is an overly circulated joke. You probably know the punchline before I ever get to it. Um, one of the family members said, yeah, it was too cold in the sanctuary. Obviously, they came to our church. Uh, one of them said it was too hot in the sanctuary. Uh, one said the music was too fast. One said the music was too loud. Another said it was too slow. Then they started chipping away at the sermon. And, and the youngest member of the family who had noticed what everybody put in the offering plate as it came by said, well, it wasn't a bad show for a quarter. <laughs> now, the other thing we talk about in Money, Humor, and Preachers is uh, we're going to take up an offering. And what we'd like to have is a silent offering because bills don't make any noise when they go in the plate, right? Friends, we're going to take a, a moment to talk today. I'll move some recording this week as well. Uh, just to be very open and honest about this is our family. This is our family. And I want to tell you who your family is and what we need from our family to continue to be a place that we gather and send forth worship into the world. The first is who are we as a church? Well, we're a little over 4,600 members total. Uh, we're in process of looking at that. We've got some folks that, you know, haven't attended in years or still in the roles, but uh, we're going to work through that. But 
We're about 4,600 members, and that's spread across about 1,600 families. And so um, you got 1,600 family units. The way the church organizes this is when we look at an address, whoever lives there, whether it be a single individual or a whole family, that's called a family unit. And then we look at what are our giving units. So at your household, uh, we consider your household a giving unit. So there may be two individuals from the household that give, but we basically look at the giving units. And what we have is a process that we call the estimate of giving. How many of you remember the old pledge card? Y'all remember that? See, yeah, come on. That's one cheap way to get your hand raised in worship service, isn't it? Huh? So I remember growing up in Wichita Falls, we had the Pony Express. And you all remember the Pony Express? Uh, they got these little saddle bags that look creative and you would be uh, in charge and make sure it went to these 12 families and everybody got their card and put it in and calculated. And more and more um, through, this, through the years, uh, the pledge card system or the estimate giving card is the way in which the church really was able to have a very good plan and know what's coming in the year for expenses, what kind of revenue should the church expect. Now, this is called an estimate of giving because that's it. It's an estimate. This is not a legally binding contract, okay? It's an estimate of giving. But what it does is it allows the church finance committee to look and say, okay, where do we think our people are going to be in their giving so that we can be good stewards and plan for 2024? What we have is roughly 400 of the family units. Out of the 1,600, roughly 400 fill out an estimate of giving card. I'd like to really challenge us this year, and it's going to be, I'll say it several times, I'd like us to get to 500, that 500 folks would tell us that they're going to give. Now, here's the great news. It's not that just 400 family units give to the church. That's not true. A lot of people will give on a regular basis, but because technology has made it so easy, it almost makes these a little awkward in church, doesn't it? I mean, Sean and I give online, and sometimes I wonder, it goes right, they just look at the preacher and go right on by, and how many of y'all go, well, preacher, do you ever put anything in here at all, you know? Sean and I do our giving online, which is a beautiful thing, right? Because the church has a very dependable record. Also, if you give online, let me encourage you to be the person that pays for the processing fee. Because when you make that gift online and you don't cover the processing fee, the processing fee comes out. So your gift is 2.75% uh, less or 2.75% more. But if you're putting it on your credit card, you get your miles. I mean, what kind of better offer are you gonna get, right? You get some, it reminds me of when my father passed away and my mother uh, had my dad's American Airlines credit card and her credit card. And she looked at them both as we were sitting before the funeral director and you've gotta understand my mother's humor. Um, she looked at it and she started to put out a credit card. And she said, wait, nope. This is going to be last charge for Jim Palmer on his own credit card. And so the joke was, dad had to pay for his funeral, but mom got the 17,000 miles. <laughs> She'd waited three more days. She could have doubled those miles. So however you want to choose to do that, we just need you to let us know. But it helps us. It helps us when you fill this out. It helps us when you mail it in and says, hey, this is where I am. It's really helpful. Now, Everybody's at a different stage of life. When we think about the importance of giving, and we look at this widow who gave, and Jesus seeing the contrast, one of the things he talks about is they gave out of their wealth or their abundance, but she gave out of all that she had. I know that everybody's in different places. If you're not someone who gives to the church on a regular basis, let me encourage you today 
to go in and think about just setting that habit up. You can go in, you can go online, you can set it up, and it makes like a regular gift each week. That's what Sean and I do. We do a regular gift each week because it's a regular flow. Now, early on, just scraping together that 10 to $20 a week when we were young, we had two kids and we were a poor preacher, and I used that in a stewardship sermon saying, I'm just a poor preacher, and one of the ladies coming out of the church said, Honey, I know you're a poor preacher. I've heard you speak. <laughs> and then she tapped my cheek and said, Just kidding. All right, but in a regular pattern. So if, you don't, if you're not in that habit, just if you would, I'm just asking you, prayerfully start that. Find a figure that works and work with that. Some of you have been extraordinarily faithful, and I want to say thank God for you. Because a large bulk of you, what you do is two things. You, you write a check, or you just give um, twice a month or once a month. If you're one of those folks, I want to say thank you. What happens, happens because of your faithful giving. And what I want to say is really important is we do amazing missional causes. We do amazing things in life the church, but we also need to be able to support the ministry operations in the life of the church. Things that keep the doors open, those incredibly, sensationally exciting things like the compressor on an air conditioner system that you'll never see, or the copier that's used, or the resources that put together the things for the children's ministry and youth ministries, the staff support. These are just part of what we call the ministry operations of the church. It's like your household and your family. For those of you who do that, thank you so much. Thank you. For those of you who, who know, and this is, this is what I call an age-level comment because some of you will have no idea what this is or you're going to know exactly what it is. It's three letters. It's called an RMD. Required minimum distribution. If you're on that place where your income is where you have to have a required minimum distribution, some of you are amazing. What you do is you give that at the end of the year, and some of you will give a prepay. I just want you to get the flavor of how does the church work? The church works because everybody does what they can, where they can, across the basis. And then every month, except for the month of July, our finance committee gets together and we look at what's the revenue that's come in and what are the expenditures, and we watch that. We have a seven-year schedule that shows us the rhythms of expenditures and offerings in the life of the church. We have an amazing team of people. But friends, if we're going to continue the ministry and if we're going to do the things that we need to do in the coming year, uh, we're going to have to ask you to help as family. Uh, for those of you who haven't started in that habit of giving, if you would, if you're one of those faithful members of Give, if you could think about a way that you might be able to increase that, Sean and I will be increasing our giving in the coming year. I don't know if you noticed, but um, I went to get chicken salad the other day. I was so surprised because I stood over the, and I went through seven of the packages. Have you ever done this recently? You go look at the prepackaged things, and you look down, and it says $9.72, and it's this deep, and you're going, wait a minute. They put the wrong label on chicken salad. That should only be about $3 of chicken salad. You know, all these costs are going up, okay? The church is no different. So we're stewarding. I want to say a word of shout-out to the malicious. Let me tell you who malicious is. When we looked at this year, we had a group of men who came together and we looked at what we were spending to contract out everything to take care of the campus throughout the year. All the mowing, all the trimming, all the cleanup. And a group of men came together and they named themselves malicious. And because of their faithful work, $32,000 a year less is spent by the church yeah, and two of those guys are back here. 
Now look, when you see Steve Roper, tell him I mentioned his name and I was going to have him stand up, but he wasn't in church today. <laughs> if you're someone who wants to jump in on that crew, um, Jason and Mark Ward, stand up. These two guys are the lead of the Molicious crew. Talk to those guys. All right. So we're trying to do everything we can. It's our family, folks. It's our family. Why is this important? It's important that you fill it out. You let us know. You mail it in. There's some in the pew back. If you haven't gotten one, it'll come to your home. And we're going to be reaching out to all of our church families, inviting them, all of the families in the church, inviting them to partner with us as we seek to continue having a positive impact. Why is it important? Three reasons I want to lift up for us. The first uh, is a biblical grounding in addition to this passage that we hear about Jesus talking about this sense of giving out of a sense of everything that this woman had, the contrast from the wealth and the contrast from the overflow. While it is important to remember that, yes, sometimes in life your cup is overflowing and you're drinking from the saucer, when it comes to what you give to God financially, it shouldn't be the overflow, it should be the beginning. It's the way the church operates and works Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift of it is, is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It's about a willingness of your heart. What we choose to give is a willingness of a heart. Jerome said it nearly um, 1,600 years ago. He said this, Jerome, the ancient church father, the gift is valued not by the weight, but the willingness of the heart. The gift is valued not by the weight, but the willingness of the heart. So why do we give? Why is it important? Three reasons. First, we give because we want to leave a legacy, not just an inheritance. We want to leave a legacy, not just inheritance. We want to be able to create something in our giving that will be sustainable long after we are gone. Have you ever seen a moving van or a U-Haul behind a hearse headed to a cemetery? You've heard the phrase, you can't take it with you. So I'm going to make a direct plea to you. I'm going to tell you this. Be like my mom. My mom has already looked at us and said, you're not getting anything when I go. It's all going to charity. She's already picked out her three charitable causes. She says, this is what you give. If you don't have the church in your will, let me ask you to do that. Think about a way that as you pass. In Amarillo, Texas, there's a man who literally left all of his property, and the agreement was the property would be sold, it was invested, and every year that investment of what he gave, he, was, he said this, I'm going to give to this church even from heaven. He gave it, it was invested by the foundation, the endowment committee, and every year the, gener the, the earnings would spin off, and in would come, and they keep saying, who is this guy? I've never seen him in church. Well, you're probably not going to see him in church. But this is what he did. It's just a creative way that you can think about keeping the church in a legacy gift for the future. Secondly, our giving represents our trust and our thanks to God. What we give financially to church says, where's God on that priority list? Now, how about you, but if you look at your monthly expenditures, there's lots of things that you already say is a priority that you're not going to miss. I would bet that if we went through these things, you're going to make sure your car payment's made every month, that you don't miss your internet access. Make sure your electricity is on auto. So there's a lot of things that are important to us. I'm just asking you to make the church as important as Netflix and electricity. 
so that we can continue to be the place the doors open to welcome and swing open to scatter and send people in the name of Christ. And thirdly, why do we give? Because while what we earn helps us make a living, what we give helps us make a difference. What we earn helps us make a living, but what we give helps us make a difference. I have incredible faith in the leadership of this church. I have been in awe of your generous hearts as we've transitioned through some pretty disruptive last couple of years. And I'm just asking you to keep it going, church. And if you haven't jumped into that process, if you don't have that discipline, please begin it. And please keep the church, not just in your prayers, but when people join, we talk about supporting the church in your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. I know the church isn't perfect. I get it. I know we make mistakes, but here's one thing that we'll never make a mistake about. We gather in the name of the risen Christ to welcome everybody into that transforming relationship so that each person who comes that thinks they need nothing would encounter and be afflicted by grace and that those who come afflicted and hurting would know there's a God who loves them and will never let them go. Friends, as I mentioned last week and those of you in Kairos help the church, who is the church? We are the church. We are God's plan. We are what God wants to use to demonstrate His love to the world. We are a family, a family of faith. Let's pray together. God, help us not miss the, the challenge of this text, that there's a contrast that happens between um, the way in which the world would overlook the widow, the, the way in which her offering would not have near the sound of someone wealthier in a moment. But in that moment, Jesus not only recognizes her, but he sets the contrast of her giving. God, give us that kind of heart as well. A heart that sees from giving you from the priority of what we have and what we are so that your kingdom's work can continue, so that lives are transformed, that this place will be a harbor and a launching point for all of the other beautiful ministries that happen and specialized second mile missional giving. God, we love you. And we thank you for the ways that people gave before we were even here so there'd be a church that would welcome us so that we would hear, experience, and share the love of Jesus. Help us go in that truth. Help us go as a family to share the love of Christ. And all of God's people did say, Amen.